welcome to Arc Reactions Podcast. My name is John. And I'm Larissa. And this is episode 146, covering The Mandalorian, episodes 4 and 5. If you're new to the show, we will be talking about things we didn't like, followed by things we did like, and finally giving the episodes an overall rating. Spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. If you have not watched The Mandalorian yet, please pause the episode, go watch at least through episodes 4 and 5, and then come back and enjoy our commentary. So we'll start with our bad things like we normally do. What is your bad thing for episodes four and five? Okay, so for episode four, uh, in the very beginning, uh, Mando is talking to the child or the baby Yoda uh, as if as if they understand, like he's saying, don't touch things or don't move. And it makes me really wonder how much does this this kid actually understand because everything that happens leading up to that kind of shows that maybe he doesn't, but at the same time, maybe he does. So for example, he says, don't touch things. And the baby Yoda looks straight at him, kind of like when you're talking to a cat and he says, don't touch things. And the baby Yoda continues to reach for whatever it was, the stick shift and stare straight at the Mando, like kind of in a taunting way. Yeah, I, I, that scene was played for laughs, but it you, you you did make me start wondering: Does he understand basic? Because uh, I'm assuming that's what the Mandalorian is speaking, or at least we're not given any kind of foreign language with subtitles, as we have seen, like with Huddies and and such, and other Star Wars things. So I'm assuming he's speaking basic, and yeah, we don't know at this point whether the baby Yoda understands basic or if he's figuring everything out from body language and gestures. Like he's able to get around pretty well for a small child so but we're not sure if he actually understands spoken those spoken words or not yeah and and it was definitely a defiant oh you don't want me to touch this i'm gonna like, touch i'm gonna this. touch it right and then like even tone and then of course uh shortly after that there's the now you stay stay here don't move and the clip right after that is the door to the ship opening and the baby is right next to him and like looking up to looking up at him. Uh, so again, like, is it kind of a like he's just kind of a mis- mischievous child that's like, haha, like I'm I'm going to just do stuff anyway. Or like, does he have no understanding? Kind of. It's, it's just unclear to me right now. Yeah. Uh, well, another thing I noticed watching the show, and I'm totally willing to forgive this because it, it plays comedically is the speed of the child varies depending on what they need to happen. Like he got from the cockpit to the back door so fast. And yet every time you see him walk, he just kind of waddles really slowly or like he's in the, um, the restaurant later in the episode, uh, drinking, eating the soup presumably. And then Mando goes outside to figure out where Cara Dune went and they get into a fight and he's immediately right there drinking soup. And it's like, that was not long enough for him to slowly waddle out there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but like I said, I'm willing to give it a pass because it plays off for some pretty funny moments of him just showing up at inopportune times. Uh, and your bad point leads into my bad point, which is in both of these episodes, we're, we're shown that the Mandalorian is still not being careful and still doesn't really know what to do with the child. Now, I understand that not knowing what to do with the child he's having to learn because he's never been around children before. But at least a little bit more of precaution, like using the bassinet uh, when he won't stay in the ship, you know, or... There was no use of the bassinet from what I remember in this particular episode. Yeah, in these two episodes, we don't see it. I I, I don't know if it comes back later or we're done with it. Um, But 
Yeah, neither of these episodes did, did the bassinet get used. Actually, and in one of the other episodes when he's actually going to uh, like save the baby, he he does use it as a defensive mechanism. I think he shuts the thing and kind of pushes it yeah, that's... when the stormtroopers are there um, shooting at them. Was that episode three? In episode two, he did two it when the bounty hunters were uh, ambushing them in the valley. Yeah, I remember so, like, that. He definitely knows or has thought of these protective measures. He's just being more careless. Yeah, that, that's that's my biggest gripe at this point in the series because I understand that him growing into being a parent figure is part of the journey we're on with the show and that's going to get better. Like we saw at the end of four, he was going to leave the child in the village with, with you know, the, the villagers there, which was not necessarily a bad move. But then like he thinks twice about it. And then of course the assassin attempt at the end of the episode makes him feel like, well, if I stay here or the baby stays here, we're just making these people unsafe. So we have to move on. But then in episode five, he tries to leave the baby on the ship again. This time it doesn't follow him off the ship. But then the lady working on the ship finds it. And if she was not a, you know, nice and, you know, caring woman, that could have been another huge problem for him on top of the other problems he had in that episode. She could have definitely milked that way more like, dude, I found your kid and like, I really need to charge you like this much for... Like she kind of did, but like she she could have done way more, especially with us knowing the circumstances of that being a bounty and, and right. That. Even if she didn't understand that, like just the fact that hey, I've got your kid, like you're in big trouble, like you lost you lost a kid, you lost your kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that could have been way worse uh, on so many levels. And yeah, e- e- if she knew that was a bounty, even worse. You know, because we're shown in that episode that Fennec. Uh, Shand knows who he is and knows that that's the bounty and uh, I think that we're going to talk about that here in a second. So that actually goes into my bad point for uh, episode 5 is that Fennec Shand is this uh, well-known assassin you know very skilled and whatnot and you know the mando is even saying like like to uh what's the guy's name toro calican i think the the guy the kid that's kind of the wannabe guild member this is his first uh bounty that he's given and he's he's trying to go after you know the big dogs and and mando is like yeah you're gonna get killed um and kind of laughs it off like all right that's who you have Ha ha. Yeah, it, it's kind of unclear from that if the Mandalorian feels like even he on his own could take her out. Like, it felt like this guy was kind of a sort of a pinball up until the end of the episode of like, oh, yeah, I'll help you do this because I need the money. You want the reputation. And, you know, if things go south, I can just, you know, sacrifice you and get out of there kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then did having him as a because there's a, the point where he, uh the, the kid and Fennec are fighting, the Mandalorian is able to get the drop on her and capture her because of his distraction. So I'm wondering if one-on-one, if the Mandalorian even would have tried to capture her. Yeah, and I think I felt like maybe from the first few episodes, I maybe overestimated his abilities because when he was going up against um Kara or Kara, I was like, okay, she just like she got you good like i mean they they were kind of even at the end they both had their guns pulled but i was like dude you're getting your butt kicked 
So anyway, uh, my bad point where I was going with this was that uh, it seemed too easy for Toro to to kill Fennec. Um, that whole time I was like, dude, she's going to like break out of her handcuffs or she's she's already got them undone or she's going to, you know, while still handcuffed, uh, turn around and like grab the blaster or or pin him or choke him out or something like I was so sure that this kid was just you know done for a- and then it just you know a couple shots and that and that's it so yeah I, I really didn't like how free she was with information without getting some like the the Mandalorian was definitely like okay you know, you have a piece of like he did. He the the kid did a really good job leading the Mandalorian on and making it so the Mandalorian wouldn't do to him what he did to Fennec, because he was never truly at a point where he could cut the kid loose, get the bounty, get the money and everything, and you know just let him you know rot in the desert. But she gave up all this information to the point where yeah, she was no longer necessary. He had everything he needed to to know. Now we see how that turned out, but like. She wouldn't do that, in my opinion. If you were that skilled of an assassin, you would have been in a situation like this before where someone got the drop on you and you had to get out of it. And, you know, she would have somehow made him work him work with her, get to the point where he trusts her enough that he slips on his guard. And, yeah, she's able to, to knock him out, get out of the cuffs and knock him out or kill him or, or whatever and get away. Like, that, I would have much preferred that, even if we're never going to see her again in the rest of the series, I would much preferred that she escaped that situation uh, you know, and, and that would have made that character feel, you know, less like a, a plot device and more like a, you know, actual assassin in the Star Wars universe. Yeah, I agree. And like, because we had limited background information, aside from knowing she's this very skilled assassin, like having that showcased maybe a little more, like all we saw was, okay, she's, uh, she was like sniping at them. And of course they were throwing her off with like the flashbangs and then there's a little bit of the uh combat scenes uh, with her against Toro and then uh the Mando coming up from behind um but like even then like I think even more of that more of more of the fighting or something cuz I mean we know she's a I mean this actress right uh Ming-Na Wen in in other things, you know she can fight. Like there's all these amazing fight scenes in in other shows. So I wish they would have showcased that a little more. Maybe. Yeah, it, it seemed really strange to cast her uh, in this. You, you know, this she's a pretty big name. Like you know, she's the second lead on Agents of Shield, which is you know a pretty popular show still. Um, and yeah, to cast her and then like get put her out of the show that quickly. I don't know. I. I I like her character on Agents of Shield. I would have liked to seen more here in in The Mandalorian. I agree. So, uh, do you have anything else, or shall we move on to good points? I think we can move on to good points. So, what were your good points for Episode Four? Overall, I'll start with the overall good point. The overall good point is that in Episodes Four and Five, we're starting to get things named. We know where we're going. You know, we're starting to get, and we're starting to get backstory on The Mandalorian. Like all the the things that I'd complained about in the first three episodes we're starting to to turn a corner on those so in episode four we get you know the name of the planet they're on um sorgan and then we get you know a little bit of the history as to why he doesn't take the helmet off you know or at least doesn't take it off around other people and 
and you know Mandalorian culture and everything. So it was really great with good with that. In episode five, we returned to Tatooine, which eh, either way on that one, like it's nice to see Tatooine again and not you know another planet just like Tatooine, like we got in uh, episode seven with Jakku, which is a lot like Tatooine. So so that was good. And then we get the the name of the planet from episodes one, two, and three where. Grief Karga is set up and the guild is set up in that bar, um, Navarro? Navarro. And so it's it's good that we're getting these pieces filled in that, that I liked. And we're getting a little more backstory uh, of the, the Mandalorian culture and everything. So they're progressing that in, in a way that, that I'm appreciating in these two episodes. So that, that's my first good point. Yeah, I think so. There is the what happens if you take that thing off? And that was referring to the helmet. And he does say like, oh, you you can't put it back on again but we never got that prior to this episode like kind of a clear direct answer for that so i really like that because it's really telling us more about the mandalorian culture or uh like heritage and their i guess customs or or at least this the warrior cast or what it is now yeah yeah and then i think also in so we also um from episode five um the right after he gets off his ship and um was it Pelly comes to to oh like service your ship type of thing immediately the mando is like no droids and so that reminded me like oh right like all those flashbacks uh from the other episodes where he i guess when he's getting captured as a child the first thing he sees is the, the droid so i'm or that's what my guess is is where this no droids thing comes from but in i think episode one we also got no droids for the uh the, the ship to go back to his yeah in episode one for sure we got it because yeah when he's trying to leave the ice planet with his first bounty he doesn't want the droid fairy uh um and he wants the human uh ferryman and then yeah here in episode five um, I don't remember if there was something in two or three. I don't think so. I, Cause I don't remember him encountering droids, droids in, in yeah. those episodes, but yeah, we did get more of the flashbacks. the flashbacks. So we got a very brief one, I think in episode one. And then in two or three, we got the bigger one, the longer one that shows, you know, his parents put him in a bunker and then were presumably killed. And then the thing that opens the door is a battle droid. Right. And then the other, other thing with like his past, his past and his history, um, I think, uh, what was her name? Omera or Amira, which is the mother, uh, in episode four, she was asking, uh, like how, like how long has it been since you've, uh, taken that thing off? And he says like just yesterday, but I think she was more implying like, in front of somebody else or i think she actually does say that um and he says oh not much older than than them the like the children outside playing um and so that also gives us a little more just information about this so maybe when he was captured so in those flashbacks pretty much very shortly after that it kind of sounds like he started his journey on uh like being a mandalorian yeah becoming a, a foundling so we, we are not shown how the mandalorians got you know rescued him but presumably they did and made him a foundling and i think we mentioned in one of the other episodes i think that's the reason he rescued the kid uh, in episode three is because he was a rescue from someone who's going to do something bad to him and he presumes they were going to do something bad to the kid so he's like no culture over this job like 
I'm going to make, you know, get this kid out of danger and then maybe they'll become a foundling. I mean, we're not really given any indication about that part about becoming a a foundling, Mm -hmm. but presumably if he encounter, it finds the clan again, because as we know, in episode three, they had to vacate Navarro. Um, He might try and leave the kid there, um, you know, but now it's more likely after watching four and five, he'll stay there with the kid and the safety of the, you know, the, the enclave and, you know, be a part of raising the kid as a foundling. Mm-hmm. Um, so the other things that I really liked, especially with, I think, episode four more so, is all the humor. So, like, as much as the the confusion with, like, how much does the kid really understand? I really loved those scenes. Like, don't touch stuff and then kind of the taunting, like okay i'm kinda, I'm gonna reach for it anyway or like the kid just showing up like i really enjoyed those scenes so this is also where we get the the frog memes and the soup and and the soup um so after the after the fight scene where they're pointing at uh their blasters at each other and um uh, the baby yoda is just over there slurping his soup and and the mando is just like you want some soup and like I don't know, I I really like that. Yeah, and that that's the other thing that that I was focused on the Mandalorian's backstory. But we get a little more world building in Episode Four as well, in that Cara Dune is a shock trooper for the Rebellion, and now that the Rebellion has turned into the New Republic, she's sort of out of a job. Or like what they need is just they need a, like peacekeepers. Yeah, like an enforcer type people. Yeah, they they don't need a a soldier. They need, you know, more like a a police type uh, thing, which I realize that this climate of the world, police are not necessarily thought of as the peacekeepers that they once were. So more of a more of like the Jedi's role in the prequels where they were, you know, keepers of the peace and knowledge and, and, you know, defenders of of the uh, of the innocent, that sort of thing. And she doesn't really fit in with that. And she feels, you know, out of place. That's why she was there on Sorgan. And she left. And she's also trying to kind of distance herself, I think, from from that life and maybe even from society a little bit. Like she was also trying to like hide for lack of better terms. Yeah, yeah. She was definitely there in, in hiding. And I mean, that combined with the, you know, the Mandalorian's adventures so far with the child lead to the conversation that happens where they agree to defend the village which is i think cathartic for both of them mm-hmm. you know and and maybe we'll lead if we see uh cara dune again which um she wasn't in episode five so i don't know we might we might see her again later or maybe even season two um but it it might lead to her finding her purpose it like we're definitely seeing the mandalorian find his purpose as as the show goes along I think both with like his duties that he feels like as a Mandalorian and as a warrior, but then also as like a father figure to to this child that he's kind of fostering right now. I think both. Yeah, definitely. Um, and uh, is there more to your point? Yeah. Oh, well, I was going to say I kind of like that that there is kind of this maybe like father son bond or whatever. Like you can tell like, yeah, the kid might not 
listen to everything he says but like he's definitely looking up to the mando so like right after you know they talk about oh ex shock trooper and stuff like that and he's trying to recruit uh kara to uh, come help me uh defend this village um there's a part where he kind of reclines and leans back like okay yep they're gonna go do it and like the mando kind of re- uh, reclines back and then it, it pans to the kid and the kid does the same thing and i I thought that was kind of cute and also funny. Yeah, yeah, that was. Um, c- continuing on with with that episode because the we, one we get a pronunciation for ATST because um, I don't know that they've ever said any of those things in any of the Star Wars that I've watched. Now I've heard people call it, and this is what I thought in my head as a kid, ATAT. But then you know, as I got older and ran into more Star Wars fans. I've heard people refer to it as at-at. But I'm like, that doesn't work for A-T-S-T because what do you say? At-stut? It, it just doesn't roll off the tongue like at-at does. So we actually hear in a you know canon form, it called an A-T-S-T, which I thought was, was interesting. And also, oh my gosh, like we've only seen the walkers in a you know, pretty big battle with ground troops and, you know, uh, the snow speeders or the Ewoks with their, you know, tricks, their logs and rocks and stuff, you know. Um, so to see one, one, a, ta- a tackle a village with two seasoned warriors who are both afraid to go up against it. Like, we really got to see the terror that one of these... Uh, weapons of war can instill in the opposing force when you don't have something of equal firepower or armor to combat it with. And I thought that was really cool and really unique. Like we haven't seen something like, or I haven't seen something like that before. Um, To go off of that uh, and talking about weaponry, uh, I know I've mentioned it in other episodes and like just wanting to know more. um, We actually did get uh, the, the word or name pulse rifle uh, so I know the Mando was asking uh, who can who can shoot, and of course uh, Omira is the only one that raised her hand. Um, but uh, at some point, uh, we also hear something about a pulse rifle. It might have been uh, Kara asking for it. Yeah, to I think shoot that's at his, the ATSD. I think that that's his big gun, right? The one that has yeah, the cattle with prod the, like, on prong the end. At yeah. The end. Mm-hmm. yeah. So um, just just for me anyway i i'm enjoying you know learning about all the new weaponry uh i think in um one of these two episodes too he uses oh actually it is episode four uh, he his arm piece again he uses it to change how he sees things through his helmet so he can kind of see like thermal yeah he had like a thermal setting a lot like yeah. you know what you see in predator vision in the you know the predator or, or alien versus predator movies and yeah that was cool that was something new we hadn't seen yet and he could see like the footprints and then of course he's he still got the drop uh, or you know Kara had the drop on him like she circled around and like he wasn't expecting that or her to be right behind him but yeah just just new uh weapons and also uh i guess technologies or equipment that he's using i'm really enjoying seeing the different things that uh, he's got yeah and not as much in episode five i mean we get to see um him use i think he just uses a blaster pistol in in that one 
I don't think he uses the the pulse just rifle. Just the flashbangs, but and like yeah, that's the flashbang. Kinda, yeah, he was just like, okay, let's alternate uh, throwing these up. It'll dis uh, disorient her for a few seconds. We did get a little more about the armor though, because she was real far away. She was really far away. And, and he so was like, well, I have... The Beskar could hold up at that range, he said. Meaning, closer, it probably wouldn't hold up against uh, her sniper rifle or uh, blaster rifle. I'm pretty sure that was a sniper rifle, but hard to tell Some with the distance. Of, but yeah. yeah, like I I got the impression from the way he said it that up close, it the Beskar been okay. no, isn't like, enough. It kind of felt like, dang, I was lucky because I have Beskar armor. And then the kid is like... I don't have Beskar, Beskar armor. And he's just like, yup. And that was his, his response. And I, I like that too. Like, I again, the humor in this. Um, oh, speaking of humor, one of the other things I liked was um, the negotiating between the Tusken Raiders uh, when uh, it was... Uh, right? Well, when they're going out to find um, Fennec, yeah. they run into a Tusken Raider and he has to explain to the new guy... We need to cross, your cross their land, so we have to get their permission. Like he's not just going to straight up do it, and, and you know, then get. I don't know what they they do. Do they shoot at you? Chase after you? Like it's it's unclear. But basically, yeah. he's being nice with the the Tuscan Raiders, and yeah, that that's the negotiation. I yeah. So there's the negotiation with all the hand signals, and of course, uh, Tor- Toro like has no idea what's going on, and then he's like, uh, the Mando is like. Uh, let me see your your binoculars or or whatever it was, and he you know just tosses it to him, and then he sh- the Mando just straight up tosses it to the Huston Raider, and the Toro's like, whoa, like what the what? Like just I don't know. I I like those types of scenes. I mean, that's just showing that again that the the kid wouldn't be able to do this on his own because he doesn't understand these things. So yeah, that that was pretty neat. Like the. The things that a bounty hunter needs to know to do their job, one of which is how to communicate without words because not everyone's going to speak your language, especially if you know, you're know you going after someone who's hiding. They're going to probably try and make it the most difficult to find them. So if they go live on a world where the people chasing after them can't communicate with the people on the world, they do a that's better job good. of hiding. Yeah. So yeah, that's a that's a really cool, subtle skill to show that the Mandalorian has. And we did see that uh, at some point he he did have to speak with what episode was that? It's the egg episode. The so, oh, episode uh, two. Yeah. Yep. So just being able to kind of uh, speak with the Jawa, they made f- a big fun of him uh, trying like, oh, it's your 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 talk and your speak is so terrible. Um, but we see this wide range of uh, languages that he's able to speak or communicate or i guess all of these have been negotiations so yeah yeah i I mean so far we've seen two but that leads us to believe that you know he has other ones that he probably knows as well so yeah that that was really cool uh anything else from Uh, the the last thing uh from episode five is we end with a little bit of a cliffhanger uh so at the very end uh someone finds fennec's body uh but it cuts off. It doesn't actually show you who, just kind of the the waist down. And you hear the uh, jangle of, of spurs. So uh, I guess more to come in the, the next episode to figure out what's all going on. Or I don't know if it's it'll be in the next episode or something further along. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I think we're kind of in, a, in agreement on a lot of the good points. Like 
I enjoyed many of the same things that that you did. Um, do you want to start with your final thoughts and rating? Uh, well, I mean, I feel like I've said all I said. I I really enjoyed episode four. Uh, I'm gonna have to give it nine regurgitated froggies because uh, at the very end, I I'm pretty sure uh, the baby Yoda was. Uh, by all the kids and he he puts the frog in his mouth and they kind of go eh, like like you're gonna eat it and then he like spits it out and then they all go ew i love that so yep nine regurgitated froggies for me for episode four uh also for myself with episode four i i'm agreeing with your rating of nine but i'm gonna say uh very menacing and scary atsts because I don't know, that part really stuck out to me and that battle, you know, with the trained villagers or as much as they could in the time that they had and Cardoon and him was, was again, one of the, like, I feel like I've said this three or four times already, a great fight scene. Like, they're doing a really good job with the fighting in this. I really liked the fight scene with Amanda and Kara in episode four. Like, I, I like the coordination of it. I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah. Uh, so I'm agreeing with you. I'll start on episode five then. Um, I really did not like what they did to Fennec uh, Mignawin's character. I feel like, like I said in, in when we were talking about it, like let her escape and not be a part of the show again going forward. Like just like threaten him, have him escape from her, and then she just disappears. You know, like she over overcomes Toro and like escapes, and then knowing that oh that's a big payday if I can get him. You know. She sets the ambush at the um, the ship, you know, that Toro set, and then he manages to pull a similar trick to like on her. Probably not the the flash thing because she's already seen that and wouldn't fall for it again. But somehow he escapes and gets away, and she just like goes off on whatever job she has lined up, and we never hear from her again. I feel like that would have been a thousand times better. Um, but uh, for that episode, I'm gonna rate it. Um, Six incompetent bounty hunter wannabes uh, out of t- out of ten. Okay, I'm gonna have to. I'm actually coming in pretty close. Uh, I was so disappointed with how uh, Fennec met her end. Uh, I think we could have done a little better uh, with that, especially leveraging the the combat skills that we know, or you know the these fight scenes that could have happened with uh, Ming Na Wen as the as the actress for for Fennec like I just I think there could have been more um and and I'm not just disappointed because it's not what I was expecting because obviously I was expecting her to you know turn that around on Toro but like I really think for a for a experienced assassin something else would have happened maybe uh even just you know a punch to the face something like something would have happened i feel like um but i'm actually gonna have to give this a six and a half pit droids uh for episode five all right what did you guys think do you agree with us disagree with us you can email us at arcreactionspod at gmail.com and share your thoughts you can fly over to our facebook page and leave a like and a comment comment facebook.com slash arc reactions podcast you can tweet at us at arc reactions pod and you can tumble our way at arc reactions podcast.tumblr.com you can find the show on stitcher spotify google play itunes and more once again a big thank you to packy for intro and outro music we love that guy and join us next month september 6th for episode 6 of the mandalorian
This has been a Cat Interrupted Production.